our harvest home is being prepared for us even as I speak. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I think of Thanksgiving, I have in my heart a desire every year to point us away from the materialism that this world points to and point us beyond that to a beautiful heavenly home. I still remember the feeling as I was in Kearney, Nebraska there. We had gone to that amusement park out there in the cornfields, and I remember back then not having a lot of money at, at times, and so I would try to go to the Black Friday sales. And I still remember the feeling as I went to my last one, I haven't been since, where I was standing outside a certain store that has a red symbol with a dot in the middle, and as I was standing there thinking to myself, why am I even here? The lines began to move. If you're in that sea of people, you began to move with it. And I'm thinking, let's get out of here. And I'm stuck. It was like a mob <laughs> going towards this door. And as, you went, as I went towards the door, I started seeing people getting hung up on the doors. And to my left, there looked like a football team just jumped out of a minivan and just plowed right into the side of it there. And another group was trying to go into a side door. And I thought, what am I doing? It got worse when I got to the actual doors because that particular store had a set of closing automatic doors as you went to the outside of them. And then as you got into the breezeway, there was another set of doors there opening and closing. And it was in that chaotic moment that as a woman went down in front of me, two people deep in front of me, and people began to jump over and like kick her almost on accident as they went over her, I thought, this is the last time I'm ever supporting this. Because as they continued to almost trample her, I thought, well, you're thinking all these thoughts just briefly, you know, just lightning fast. I just thought to stick my arm out and somehow still that whole push against me, enough for her to get up. And she got up, she kind of glanced back, and she ran. <laughs> Didn't even say thank you, she ran. <laughs> there she was, running for the electronics section. And I thought to myself after I decided, I, I, I literally started walking after that to the side, watched the crowd go by, and I just said, I'm going to walk over and see what's left. I'm not going to rush like they are. And that's the way I shop. I don't rush. I just I have my list, and I'm going to go right over there and see if it's still there. But the materialism that I saw that day to thingify this woman, that the things in the store were more important than her as she laid on the ground there, and the fact that they would push her over in the beginning anyway, it just began to disturb me. And as I thought of Thanksgiving after that, not only did I not go to any other Black Friday sale, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I, I just decided not to anymore because I was tired of the war paint and all of that type of mentality, I began to go back to the Pilgrim story and think to myself, how did we get to this place where we were so materialistic that we didn't even remember the story always, and we were more focused on the materialism surrounding this holiday. And this morning, I'm giving you this presentation after Thanksgiving, so you have a year to recover, because I may dispel a few myths about Thanksgiving that might, might have ruined it for you. And as I looked at the Pilgrim story more closely, I came across some documentaries on this, began to do some research on this, and I came across one that said this, after a perilous journey across the Atlantic, the Mayflower's passengers were saved from certain destruction with the help of the natives of the Plymouth region. For 50 years, a fragile peace was maintained as pilgrims and Indians learned to work together. We do not know the exact date of the first Thanksgiving, but it was probably in late September or early October. That kind of ruined it for me. I thought, oh man, we're even 
kind of doing it in the wrong type of the month. Soon after their corn, squash, beans, barley, and peas had been harvested. And so if that ruins it for you, then that ruins it for you. But for me, we were choosing to celebrate it in November, but back then, the first Thanksgiving, they looked back at the records and concluded, likely September or October after the harvest, or what little harvest they did have as, as pilgrims. But imagine making that perilous journey. Imagine having this assistance and help that first year, and imagine how you'd feel. You'd be very thankful for those people. They would become very close, some of those pilgrims and the natives. In fact, some of them made even friendship covenants amongst themselves over those 50 years of fragile peace. It was also a time during which Plymouth Harbor played host to a tremendous number of migrating birds, not necessarily always turkeys. Instead of a spiritual ceremony, the gathering had more in common with a traditional English harvest festival a secular celebration that dated back to the Middle Ages in which villagers ate, drank, and played football, right? Games. So as I looked at that documentary, I thought to myself, well, even when they got off the boat and began this celebration, I'm sure there were some who were focusing on the spiritual, but there were others who were mostly looking at it as a secular holiday. That's kind of how we got to where we're at today. And the question is, as we look at Thanksgiving and we look at these, these holidays, people call them, the question is, what is our focus? That's the real question. Is it the secular? Is it the games? Is it the idea that, oh, we got all this harvested in? Is that really what this is about? Because notice this secular celebration dates back to the Middle Ages in which villagers ate, drank, and played games. You can, you can go into YouTube, type in harvest home or harvest celebration. It'll take you back to celebrations that go way back into the Middle Ages. For instance, Poland has one that dates back way into the Middle Ages, and it's anything but thank God for this day. And as I think of Thanksgiving, today it's celebrated in both a spiritual and secular way. Today people are looking at the ads before they can get done with their meal with their family. Today they're looking at the football screen like my, some of my relatives do all day long on Thanksgiving when their family's right there in the same room. And it's not saying you shouldn't have some of these practices. That's your challenge to wrestle with God about, but really, what is our focus, secular or spiritual? You know, and this isn't just my burden as a pastor and as a, as a family man. I, I think of maybe others had the same burden, and years before my time, back in the years before, in the 1800s, there was somebody who said, you know what, I'm tired of us focusing on the secular, let's focus on the spiritual. Let's look at the spiritual meaning that we can find behind this celebration and focus on that. And you'll find Henry Alford. He was a Greek scholar, very much into the New Testament Greek. He was educated at Trinity College. Eventually, he becomes an Anglican clergyman, and you can read his bio up on the screen there. He takes holy orders in 1833. He is in Leicester for 18 years. He becomes dean of Canterbury in 1857, but he writes a hymn in that whole journey to get his congregation to focus back on the spiritual called Come Ye Thankful People, Come. We have it for our offertory. We'll have it for the closing song. And what is his desire in this song? It's to sing a song, because we know music is powerful, to take our minds from every, the, all the busyness, all the secular, all of that, to focus spiritually. And so this morning, I'm going to do something unusual. I don't normally do this. I don't normally look at the words of a song this carefully and try to analyze it like I'm analyzing the Greek New Testament or the Hebrew New Testament, but I'm going to take a few moments, in fact, the rest of our sermon, to look at this song carefully to see how did he, 
back in that day and age when harvest was big, it was part of everybody's family, take that and focus them on the spiritual. Because I think we can do the same. And I'm going to look at the first verse. Notice in the first verse, Come ye thankful people, come. Raise the song of harvest home. Harvest home was a term that was associated with secular harvesting. It was, it was a secular harvest festival, like in the Middle Ages. So he points to that. All is safely gathered in, ere the winter storms begin. Anybody can relate to that. Any farmer, whether they're Christian or not Christian, could say, yeah, we're, having, we're celebrating because we've gathered everything in. And in Nebraska, huge combines going out, cutting down those cornfields, gathering it into silos, waiting for that price to be just right so you can sell it at the highest market rate, and you would really celebrate then because you can pay off your debts. $50,000 worth of fuel. I mean, just huge debts every year. And so I could see that, how it could just be focused on a secular purpose, but notice how he progresses. Yeah, we've gathered it all in. God, our maker, doth provide for our wants to be supplied. Come to God's own temple, come. Raise the song of harvest home. So he would have them come and gather and bring some of their harvest to the church, and they would display it in the church as they were singing this song. He wrote it to guide his congregation in worship to bring their harvest into the temple, to bring and say, God has provided all of this. Kind of like what we did here with the Thanksgiving food baskets and, and also the feeding the meals and, and then draping all of those goods right here in front of the church. That's what he wanted to do, is take them from just their own silos to saying, what can we do as a church to focus on God? So notice he goes from this, what some could argue is secular to spiritual right away. And we would do well to do the same because as I look at this song, there are so many scriptural comparisons in this song. The first verse, Come ye thankful people, come, raise the song of harvest home. Well, it could be argued that it's secular. Anybody could relate to that. It goes way back to the Bible where we have God's people taking the harvest that they had every year and focusing it on God. For instance, it says, Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of your kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Your home will be blessed. Your family will be blessed. Your community will be blessed as you focus on God. Deuteronomy is very clear about that, that the harvest was linked to a relationship with God. Now, it's not saying that secular people never had a good harvest. It's saying we should focus. And that's what Israel's focus was. It was inevitable celebrations, inevitably, that focused on God. All is safely gathered in ere the winter storms begin. Every one of these, though we could argue are secular at times, are focusing on God. For instance, it says, Six days shalt thou work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. In earing time and in harvest, Thou shalt rest. And that is risky time. That is a trust issue. I was conducting a Revelation series of meetings, and we were talking about the Sabbath, and as I'm driving down the road with a farmer in my, in my passenger seat, he said, you know what? The Sabbath was hard for me at times because all my neighbors were telling me, get out there and harvest. The storm is coming. It's going to hail. It's gonna... And they were trying to drive fear into me. And I said, no. He said, no. This is my Lord's day. I'm going to spend time with my Lord and my family and my church, and I'm going to worship God. And so guess what happened? The hailstorm did come in. It wiped his crop completely out. 
but he had insurance, and so he applied for that, got subsidy, got money back. He purchased new seed, he replanted the field, and the market value of that crop exceeded what he would have gotten from the other field, and so he did more than break even that year. And he said to me, that's why the Bible says, even in harvest time, trust me. Even in harvest time, rest in me. And I will never forget that experience with that farmer because when I rode the combine with him, I kept thinking about this story that he told. This guy is daily trusting God with all of this. Can you imagine spending $100,000 that you don't have, taking out a loan, and putting it into a field every year or into equipment every year? These guys spend humongous amounts of money, and yet they're trusting week by week that God's going to take care of it when they entrust it to God. They're trusting it all to God, especially on the Sabbath day. And so that's why in the Israelite community, they would even postpone, they would even, not, they would even avoid harvest even on the Sabbath day. I know some say you've got to get out there and harvest it, but the Bible is pretty clear. We even avoid it on Sabbath. And thou shalt observe the Feast of Weeks, first fruits of the wheat harvest, Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. They had these celebrations of gathering in that we would do well to learn from, to be thankful for everything we have gathered into our homes as well, especially in the spiritual realm. God our maker, death provides. So this is where he really shifts it from just being agrarian terms to now spiritual terms. And the song goes from there all the way through to being spiritual. God our maker, death provide for our wants to be supplied. Isn't the shepherd in Psalm 23 saying, you'll have all your wants met? Isn't the scripture saying that the Lord God himself is your, not only your, is a sun and a shield, he will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly, those who trust in him. And in Philippians, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Our biggest need is not the physical, though it's nice to have those needs met, it's the spiritual. And so we find this scholar who's writing this song, amazing amount of scriptural information attached to it. Come to God's own temple, come, raise this song of harvest home. This is linking back once again to the Old Testament where God would say, bring it all into the, my storehouse. He wanted to support the spiritual work and isn't that important as well? Prove me, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. All these practices talking about here this morning, keeping the Sabbath, staying focused on God regarding your tithes and offerings, all of that is saying, Lord, you are in control. Each day of my life, each week of my life, each year that goes by, you are in control. And that's why as Christians, Thanksgiving goes well beyond our November date. Every time we receive from the Lord, when we return it to him and say, Lord, use it, bless it, will we give beyond that We've, what I find is the Lord in return says, all right, I've entrusted you with it. You're able to, to, to freely give back. Then he pours out more in its place. Every time I think I'm somehow giving sacrificially, the Lord says, not yet. Keep giving, keep giving, keep giving. And what happens is my capacity to give grows and his capacity to supply continues to grow along with my giving attitude. So Thanksgiving is really... It's not a magical formula like, oh, if I do this, then it's going to all work out. It's saying the biggest benefit is spiritual. Do you trust him? And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he will not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, 
saith the Lord of hosts. Keep trusting me and I'll take care of you. And so we go from this secular harvest home that everybody knew about, even up from the Middle Ages, to this dear pastor saying, come on, let's focus on God who has provided for us. He goes from that to that. And so should we. In the second verse, it's all spiritual from here, and I'm going to only touch a few of them because we don't have as much time as I'd like. All the world is God's own field, fruit unto his praise to yield, wheat and tares together sown, unto joy or sorrow grown. First the blade and then the ear, then the full corn shall appear. Lord of harvest, grant that we wholesome grain and pure may be. A progression from saying God is the one, he's our maker. Now God isn't, isn't supplying just what we need physically. He wants to touch our hearts. We are his field. All the world is God's own field, fruit unto his praise to yield. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. Are we his children? What would it look like? The fruit that we would yield. Not because we're saying, oh, I gotta, I'm a, I gotta grow fruit. It's, I'm looking to the author of life. He begins to change me and I grow fruit. Jesus even said in his day, the fields were, har- were right, white for the harvest. And so it's clear, the world is God's field. How are we sharing Jesus with them? Wheat and tares together sown, unto joy or sorrow grown. This shows that even in the church, even in God's people, there will be an enemy that will come and sow tares among the wheat. And we're not to focus just on that enemy. We're to focus on the one who can sow that good seed in us. We want to bring forth the fruit. We don't bring forth the fruit on our own. So we need Jesus to keep sowing in us his words. Alfred wrote years before this, our Lord was speaking of an act of malice as far as sowing these bad seeds, sowing the tares. Practice in the East, persons of revengeful disposition, that's what you have to watch out for, watch the ground of a neighbor being plowed, and in the night following, they sow destructive weeds. So you imagine, there you were, you put all this labor and time into the field, and someone was watching you the whole time to get back at you, And this is what we find being described by Jesus. Someone comes and sows tares. So we have this good and bad taking place. And we even in the church need to be careful not to be the kind of people that have that revengeful disposition. We need to be thankful that we even have each other here. And the practice is not unknown even to England at present, he said, since the publication of the first edition of this commentary, a field belonging to the editor at Gadsby in Leicestershire was maliciously sown with charlock over the wheat. An action at law was brought by the tenant and heavy damages obtained against the offender. So he's saying, here I am looking back at the Bible, seeing how someone might come in the night and sow this. And we've even had it here in our modern newspaper. And today we may not have as much of that. But the question is, amongst us, what kind of seeds are we going to sow? The good seed of Jesus. First the blade and then the ear, then the full corn shall appear. I don't know if there was a lot of corn back in Bible times. I think it has something to do with our continent here. But as I look at this, it's clear there would be grain appearing. And that's why Jesus said, For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. And when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest is come. From this point on in the song, it's leading us to a harvest day, and it's leading us to our heavenly home. 
And you're going to notice as it progresses, this is where it goes. In the third verse, For the Lord our God shall come, he shall take his harvest home. Who's his harvest? We are. Each one of us, from the smallest to the tallest, to the youngest to the oldest, regardless of how we are standing financially, regardless of how we are standing or feeling spiritually this morning, we are his children. He wants to take us home each one of us. And if one of us, I keep, my, my mind keeps being boggled by this thought. Joe Cruz years ago said, if one of us would live forever, one of us would live forever, can you imagine, eventually, do it mathematically, that one person could outlive all the human beings in this world if you put their ages together, all those who've lived and died put together, put all their ages together, that one person would in eternity outlive all of them combined. That's amazing, isn't it? It's called compounding, right? You find this whole idea, eventually it's going to add up to the B. In eternity, one of us living forever would outlive all the people who've ever lived in this world combined. Now, you can wrap your mind around that. That's how valuable we are to God. If one of you makes it with a crown on your head, And so we want to go home with him. And from his field, he'll purge away everything that kind of offends, comes along, and he'll give his angels charge at last in the fire, the tares to cast. He takes care of that. But the fruitful ears to store in his garner evermore. And so you notice, he uses the word harvest home. But when he began the song, he was taking them from that harvest home secular celebration, trying to transition. And now you get to the end and he says, this is our harvest home. When Jesus comes, when he comes, we'll go home with him and we will be with him forever. And that's why this, this song is, this has so many scriptures from the Old Testament and the New. For the Lord our God shall come and shall take his harvest home. Isn't that what Zechariah said? The Lord my God will come and all the saints will be with him. Isn't that our goal? Now don't read into that that they're in the sky and they're coming back down. Eventually that will happen too because we find after the second coming we go up with him and we come back down to this world. But the main idea is being with him forever. That's what Zechariah is talking about. And behold, I come quickly, Jesus said. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I'm the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I'm the one who matters, Jesus says. And I have a place prepared for you. And so the Lord our God shall come. It's talking about Jesus. And from his field he will in that day all offenses purge away. That's why Jesus said, John, excuse me, John said that I who am here am not worthy to even bear this guy's shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost with fire whose fan is in the hand, his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor. The purging that takes place is at the hands of Jesus. Not harsh. It may be painful at times to separate us from this, things of this world because we've held on to them so tight. But he's saying, come with me. I will cleanse you through the Holy Ghost and purge you. And he'll gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is speaking about Jesus. Jesus sees the world as his field. He sees eventually a harvest taking place, and he sees, and eventually it gets to the point where he literally has to cause a separation forever, a forever eternal separation to occur. Not because of him, because of the choices we've made. And so I want to be on the side where he's baptizing me with fire. I want to be on the side where he's taking away everything that's distracting me from him so I can be with him forever. And so he purges us. He prepares us. He says, I want you home. 
Isn't that what he said in John 14? I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I am coming back to take you where I'm at, right? That where I am, you may be also. And he gives his angels charge at last in the fire, the terrors to cast. This is right along with Mark. He shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then shall he send his angels. This song is progressing to the point where you're going to be looking up to the clouds, looking up to this harvest where Jesus is coming, and he's going to gather us with those angels. Can you imagine the reunion in the sky that's going to be? People that you've loved, people that maybe even you thought deep down, I don't know if they're going to be there or not, but somehow God worked out his plan of salvation in their lives, and now they're right there, and you're being united with them with those beautiful angels gathering you together. Can you imagine that? That's going to be a Thanksgiving (laughs) meal, if you will, a Thanksgiving gathering the likes of which our world has never seen. And so, yes, we should have gatherings with our family, but we should be pointing our family to God. Giving angels charge at last in the fire, the terrors to cast. We know that's the alternative, right? Separation from God. And I don't know about you, but the devil's ways and his purposes totally in conflict with the way my heart is, is running by, with God right now. It's just like, why would I want to go along with that? The fear, the force, all of that. Well, if people do go along with that and their names are not written in the book of life, then they are cast into the lake of fire. And so the question is, is our names in the book of life? Because if it is, we'll say, behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. His arm will rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with him. The most vulnerable amongst us, he is looking to reach so that we can be with him forever. So if you feel down and out at some point, or maybe some memories came, and I know this time of year is hard, especially if you've lost a loved one and this is your first cycle, this grief cycle, trust him. He is willing to take care of you right now. And as he's willing to gather the new lambs and gently lead those that are with young, he is attentive to every need. And so this song is about Jesus, isn't it? As you look from the beginning verse all the way down, it's telling us God our maker doth provide. That's Jesus, our creator. And all the way down through the song, it's pointing us. So the question is, are our names written in the book of life? Are we going to be with him forever? If so, then the fourth verse comes to mind. Even so, Lord, quickly come, bring thy final harvest home, gather thou thy people in, free from sorrow, free from sin. There forever purified in thy garner to abide or to live. Come with all thine angels come, raise the glorious harvest home. That should be our song. Lord, as each year goes by, I'm going to do what I can to help people be prepared for that day, for that beautiful harvest home. And Lord, please come soon and raise your glorious harvest home. And so you, know, you notice all the verses that come to mind, don't you? Even so, Lord, quickly come. That's right out of Revelation 22. You go on to the next verse, gather thou thy people in. That goes right out of Matthew 24 and 25 where he will send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. He will gather his people together, all nations. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So we know what happens to the goats. They're forever purified in thy garner to abide. How are we purified? Do I just make a list every morning and say, oh, I'm going to do better and better, right? We all know that that gets futile after a while. And if you're on that camp at this point, making a list every day or trying to be good enough so he'll accept you, 
eventually at some point you're going to get discouraged and maybe even despair. And, and I know some people who totally check, away from, check out from God because of that. So we need to avoid that extreme. But it does say in the Bible that we're created for good works. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved by grace, and this causes a creation to occur in us. That's why Hebrews says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. We have to be seen as holy in God's sight. Not because, not because somehow God's standing there with a lint brush and trying to figure out if we have anything on us. It's because we cannot stand in the presence of a holy God with a sinful heart. So we need to be changed. And once we are changed, our behavior will come along with that. Some of us get it backwards. Take the behavior first, and then hopefully we'll change. That can work at some point. It can bring you to the point of repentance and humbleness. But really, it's reverse. It says, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. So the goal is to trust in the Lord, to be willing to live with Him forever. And as I thought about that, as I was preparing, I thought, Murray, is there anything that you're living with now that would prevent you from living with Him forever? Anything you're just getting by with, anything you're focusing on or spending exorbitant amounts of time on that you need to be spending that time with the Lord on? What are we living with now that would prevent us from living with him forever? And so I want to abide with him, and I want to abide with God forever by doing his will. So come with all your holy angels, come, raise the glorious harvest home. And that we know that takes place at the second coming. That's why Titus says, we're looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. His epiphania. It's not a secret rapture. It's an epiphania where we look up and we see this beautiful God who we have gotten to know. That's why he says, in my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I want you to be there with me. So, in summary, this progression of the song is beautiful. I mean, imagine the Lord guiding you to write a song like this where you could take your congregation from Super Bowl parties of their day, from the harvest gatherings of their day, to saying, wow, I want to be there in that great, beautiful day when an innumerable number of people are going to be there with Jesus. So he starts with a harvest home that was secular, progresses to the harvest celebration they had at church. They did have a beautiful celebration there. And then he goes to the spiritual realm where the world where good and bad seeds are sown. He's saying out there, that's what's going on. It's happening even here. But we need to focus and continuing focus on Jesus when he comes. And in the end, our harvest home of heavenly origin will come down, be greater than any earthly celebration we've ever experienced. So our harvest home begins here today, each and every day, in our homes, in our churches, in our communities. And really, it's by remembering that Jesus Christ is the one who's guiding us. And if we don't choose to remember, it can get to the point where that materialism envelops us. That whole spirit, that weird feeling of, oh, I'm going to get this thing in there and they're in my way. That has to go. That whole, that whole way of thinking, even down to how we drive in traffic, that person's in my way. That person is someone Jesus died for. That thing can go away, but that person you want to live forever with. And so we must remember where we're going or else we'll forget at a great price because as the pilgrim story progresses, I found out that 60 to 80% of the native population was lost, depending on some figures there, because of Philip's war. What ended up happening was they had 50 years of some semblance of peace, but eventually some began to covet the lands of the Native Americans 
And as a result of that, they began to enter into deals where they would say, well, I want this piece of land over here. And the natives thought it was talking about, well, you want to harvest from that land, but it's our land. Kind of like the ancient Israelite custom, where really no land permanently left a family. You always had a jubilee. So they had this view of land where it really wasn't what they possessed or what you possessed. It was meant to be for harvest. And they had some weird pagan beliefs too. But those who came along saw it as an opportunity to not just gain a harvest from the land, but to gain their land. So they would trade different trinkets and things for the land, and then they would begin to harvest it. And that began to grow animosity amongst them. Disputes over, well, those were my ancestral lands. Those were the things that have handed, been handed down. We want them back. And then eventually we find war breaks out. It's called Philip's War. And during that war, 60-80% of the native population was lost. Some say 60% because the rest were shipped off as slaves to other parts of the world. They were loaded not on the Mayflower that came and they greeted and eventually helped establish them in America, but they were loaded onto the Sea Flower and they were shipped as far as Africa to be slaves in the various markets and trades. And so we go from the Mayflower to the Sea Flower. So 56 years after the sailing of the Mayflower, a vessel from New England completed a voyage of a different sort, taking them away as slaves. It's kind of a sad chapter as you think about it and read through it from different viewpoints and put it together. We want, want to focus on the Thanksgiving part, but we must also focus on the idea that we should never forget to be thankful for what God has done. We should never be, forget to be thankful for the people that God has brought into our lives. So our harvest home is remembering where our harvest home is or else we will forget at a great price. We'll lose track of each other's value. We'll lose track of really that God's given us all these things and we'll just kind of be in this cycle of materialism that we'll never get out of. And I think the goal of that dear pastor and my goal is the same. Let us focus not on the secular but on the spiritual during these days. That's how we can remember. We can remember that we are clothed with Jesus' beautiful robe of righteousness that we do not deserve that, that he has freely given that to us. Our very breathing, we find in Psalm 3, 5, I arose, I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. The very fact that we can get up this morning and be here, or those of us who can't make it here, who are watching online or whatever, we can be there because of God's sustaining power. And that's what's going to sustain us all the way, is his power, his glory in our lives to that beautiful home that he has prepared for us. So I want to remember, as the holiday fades, in essence, you already find before one holiday is done, they have the stores are already going on to the next thing. Let's pause. Let's pause and remember that this is about a beautiful place God has prepared for us, a beautiful place He wants to be with us forever. It's about Jesus Christ Himself every day. So my harvest home is waiting, and I want to sing about that with you now in this song. So as you sing the song, look through it carefully. It's, it's really an appeal for us to focus heavenward as a congregation and as families as well. So I invite you to stand if you'd like to. Our song will be up on the screen. Number 557, Come Ye Thankful People Come. Number 557. Song of harvest hope. 
thankful for the harvest home that you are preparing. It's our harvest home by faith. Guide us to stay focused on it. Help us to rejoice in the Lord. Help us to give thanks at the time of remembrance for his holy name. Thank you so much, Lord, for all you've done for us. In your name I pray. Amen. <laughs> 